Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, let's get our Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 10, and thank you for giving me a few moments of time together. And those of you online, now get back. You went and got a coffee. Come on back to the room. Let's get going together. We're going to talk today about kingdom builders where purpose meets destiny. And I want to look over the next two weeks at just a little brief series of what Jesus did in his call for his disciples to follow him and what that means to us. And so as we begin to look at the scripture, so here's one of the motifs that comes out of scripture over and over. It's this thought or this concept of building. You know, they tell us that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, right? Everybody would agree with that. So I thought about that. So what does spring represent in Ontario? And I came up with an idea just for you guys. Spring is the most dangerous time of the year. And you go, well, why would you say that? So I wrote it down this way, because this is a season of all the backyard builders getting out of their houses and starting to dream about what they're going to do with their power tools, their garden tools, their lawn tools. You guys, how many we got, you know, your DIY people, you love doing your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you're in the room. You understand this. We're the people that, and I love it too. I get into the same thing. We dream about when the snow goes away, which I'm praying is going to happen sometime before December, that we get out into the yard, and whether you're a gardener or a builder or a landscaper or you love to renovate your house, this is when we get out. We go down to the local big box stores because they have the most professional people ever on the face of the earth who can tell you how to do it, and you listen to them, and then you go home and you start to build your projects. And people like Mike Holmes and Brian Baumler and Jim Carrick, they're going, yay, because we're going to fix what they mess up, and we're going to make all kinds of money off you people. That's why it's the most dangerous time of the year. It costs us money, and we end up in the hospital. Why do I talk about building? Because you can't get away from it. When you look at the church and you look at everything that we're about, it's about building. Now, a few of you are getting a little nervous. Doug, are you talking about building a bigger building? Yeah, we should. We should build a balcony. That's what we should do right now. We should blow the walls out, build a balcony. I think we should do this. We could go three stories. Barry, they're not with me this morning. I don't know what's going on here. No, don't worry. Relax. Those of you that are putting your hands on your wallets, you can chill right now. I'm not talking about building, construction, expanding the church building. What I'm really looking at is looking at what the Scripture talks about when it comes to building. All through the Bible, you begin to get this perspective that building is a part of God's design. He talks about building homes and families, community, and faith. Jesus was very focused in his mission, and he used words and imagery that tied back into the building construct. He talked about the contrast of the wise who would build their homes on the... The foolish would build their homes, sorry, on the... And the wise would build their homes on the... Oh, good answers. Yeah, so Jesus understood that we can relate to spiritual concepts if we use it in structures and images that we see every day. So we go, okay, I get it. I get the wise and I get the foolish. Peter talks about being living stones that are being built together into God's house. Hebrews talks about every house is built by someone and that God is the builder of everything. Paul said Christ is a cornerstone. In him, the whole building is built up and formed together. So you you can't get away from the building construct. 
So foundational to our understanding of what it means to choose to follow the way of Jesus is that we are also then choosing to become a part of the largest building enterprise that has ever existed. Now, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar and stone and lumber. I'm talking about life and body, spirit, soul, mind, and strength. That when we said yes to following Jesus, it wasn't about simply a mental assert to a belief system. It was, I'm all in. I'm choosing to be a part of what Jesus meant. So let me take it a little bit deeper. The disciples had no idea what Jesus meant when he said, come and follow me. They probably thought, hey, that's a great idea. You're like this really cool rabbi. You, you teach and you do miracles. We'd love to hang out with you. And you can be our leader and we'll sit at your feet and we'll learn from you. And so they were all like, yeah, I'll follow you. Jesus had never meant for them to come and simply learn information from him. He was inviting them into the most transformational experience of their lives. They were going to get their hands enmeshed in this. They were going to understand what it is to be a part of what I call kingdom builders. See, I think anybody who's called to follow Jesus is a kingdom builder. There's no option. You can't opt out. You can't say, well, hey, I love your way of faith, but I don't want to be about your purpose. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. So if he's building his church and the people that he calls are part of building his church, then you're a kingdom builder. So that means that the, the call still stands, that when Jesus said to you and he said to me, come and follow me, and you raise your hand, or you, bow, you bowed your knee, however you said, Jesus, I invite you to be Lord of my life, not only were you accepting the wonderful gift of his grace and salvation, but what you were saying is, Lord, whatever you need from me, I'm all in. I am in because this is all about what you do and who you've called us to be. I think it's the craving of every human soul. We know that we are created with greater capacity than what we choose to live for. In fact, I would say all of us would desire that our life would not be measured by the span of the years that we live, but it would be measured by the span of the influence that we leave after we've lived on the face of this earth. So what would it look like if we could rise to become the person that we know ourselves to be But so often that person is constrained within the prison of our fears and our inhibitions and our doubts and our hesitations. What what could it look like if when you said to Jesus, I'll follow you, there was no fear in that answer. There was no hesitation in that answer. There was no doubt and no uncertainty. And when Jesus said, are you ready for this? And you said, yes, I'm ready for this. Then you follow him right into this adventure called Kingdom Builders. So we're going to look at that. Because I believe every one of us who has said yes to Jesus is a kingdom builder. It's, we just might be on the bench, and we need to get back in the game. And I want to see what he did with his disciples, and then talk about what does that mean for us as a church. Matthew chapter 10, let's go to verse 5. So Jesus, speaking to those that were closest to him, gave him a little task. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. All right, in those few short verses, there's so much that I want to be able to share with you. But I want to look at what are the characteristics of a kingdom builder because I firmly believe, I have this deep, deep, deep conviction, you are a kingdom builder. You have the potential to live to the calling that Christ has given to you. So what are the characteristics that are in this text 
that should be shaping and forging and forming the way that you live your life. Get your notes out, get your apps out, follow along. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts. Take them down, go to your growth groups. Number one, write down these two words, highly intentional. Every kingdom builder, every person who says yes to Jesus is all about the calling. They are highly intentional with their life. They know that they're called to a cause, something that is greater than simply the moment in which they encountered Christ. That moment, spectacular as it was, just opened up the door to a future that we had not even imagined was even possible to us. And when we said yes to Jesus, and when you are saying yes to Jesus, not only is he transforming who you are, he is actually releasing you to become the person that he created you to be in the first place. And it's all about your calling, and he wants us to be highly intentional. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6. I read it to you. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. There's a word in there. I want you to go. I got a purpose. I got a calling for you. Now, when we read the verse, there should have been a question that most of us from a Gentile background would have raised. Why was he saying to only go to the Jews? Was Jesus on a mission that was really exclusive? Was he marginalizing the Samaritans and the Gentiles? Because we just read it. He said, don't go to them. Go to the Jews. And if you don't read the full spectrum of the scripture, you don't understand the whole story, you could miss this. And if you're new, I want to make sure that we understand this together. The answer comes with clarity in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. You can write that down if you want to go to that later. Acts 13, 47, here's what it says. The Lord has commanded us that I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to all the earth. Jesus was called into. He was highly intentional with his life. He was called into a mission. He called a group of people together, and he was fulfilling the mission, and he was reaching back into the prophetic declaration that Abraham, the father of faith, would become the father of those who would have this faith to believe. And God says, you know, look at the stars and count, try to count the sand on the seashore. He said, you're going to be the father of numerous people, and these people would become a light by which the nations of the world would be able to see that there is one true God, there is a way and a hope and relationship available that salvation is there. But Israel sort of dropped the ball on that. They hadn't really fulfilled all that God had intended. Jesus steps into the picture. He comes on his messianic mission, and when he steps into it, he recognizes that God is still going to fulfill what he intended to do. And so Jesus comes to speak to the people of Israel, and he invites his followers, I want you to go, and it's the beginning of the fulfillment of this, that salvation will be declared and people will see there is hope for all nations and all people. He wasn't being exclusive. He was being highly, highly intentional. God is always sincere and intentional. And so you look at his life and you recognize, and even Jesus would say that there are other sheep that are not of this sheep fold or sheep pen. He goes, I want to reach them too. It's just that when he structured his life, he was highly intentional about how he lived out his calling. It speaks to our lives and what God is calling us to do. One of the things I realize is, particularly in the Western church, that our culture shapes us. It it forms and changes a lot of who we are and how we think. It shapes our perspective and our understanding. So whether you look at it through culture, music, movies, literature, poetry, all of that, you'd agree, right? All of that has a bearing upon our lives, yes? I just want to see if you're still there. Yes? Sure it does. It has a big part to play in our lives. In fact, you can start naming off songs, and some of you go right back to the time and the location and the place and the emotions that you were feeling in that. And I got, I got wondering, has some of the music that has shaped our culture also shaped the way that we approach our faith? 
has it somehow impacted or maybe forged how we come to it. So you know what I do. Just checking. I sit and think about things that I can share with you when I get up here on Sunday. And I thought, well, how could I bring you into a place to show you that maybe culture has shaped. Maybe we're not as highly intentional in our following Christ because culture's played into that. See, I got somebody we can blame. So I was looking at this, and I looked at some of the music. So I'm going to go back a few years, and I'm going to see how many in the room and how many online can track with me here. Do you remember the name Doris Day? Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't think I'd get that many in the room. All right, you closet Doris Day people. All right, here we go. She sang a song that all of you know then. Barry, you want to sing it for me? Barry just shouted it out. Que sera, sera. Right? Right? You know it, right? Let me hear it. Whoa! Stop, 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 stop. Where's Paul Woodley? Paul, we have a choir for the 50th anniversary. Look at you guys. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, so I'm not going to bother Jesus with anything else. Just Kesara Sara. See, we listen, music moves us, word moves us, it impacts, it penetrates, and we adopt things without even realizing it. And I think, and I look at the church, particularly in our Western culture, and I think a lot of times culture has actually dampened our enthusiasm for the calling that Christ has given to us because maybe we don't understand it or we've adopted our culture's posture, not Christ's calling. And we don't live according to culture's posture, we, we live according to Christ's calling on our lives. So you have this case, sirrah, sirrah, and you just go, well, whatever. Whatever's going to be is going to be, and we're going to leave it that way in our faith, and we accept and embrace our faith in the same way. Well, some of you are not Doris Day people, are you? You might be Bobby McFerrin people. Do you know Bobby McFerrin? Yeah, no, you've got to start off the other way. Ooh. Oh, that's really weak, you know. The, the Doris Day people, front row, the Doris Day people have got you blown out of the room here. Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. He had no other words to share with us but that and then a lot of ooing. But again, becomes one of our life models. Or maybe you're an Otis Redding fan. Sitting on the dock of the bay. Oh, yeah. See, I just lost the left-hand side of the room here. They're all sitting on the dock of the bay. Isn't it interesting, though, how music pulls us into a place and we don't even realize that maybe when it comes to who we are as followers of Christ, and he says, come and follow me, and we go, as long as I can bring my culture with me, as long as I can bring the things that give me comfort, as long as I can embrace the things that I want to condition my life by, and I don't see Jesus saying, you know, don't worry, be happy. I do see him saying, fear not. And I don't see him saying, sit at the dock of the bay, but I do hear him say, go. So there are a lot of these things in here, and Jesus shows this intentionality. You talk about this whole area of looking at Jerusalem. He resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. He said about Samaria, guys, I've got to go to Samaria. They go, no, we don't go that way. We go around the Jordan Valley way. He goes, no, I have to go to Samaria. He goes in, and you start to see him broaden his perspective of the intentionality of his calling. He wasn't exclusive. He was intentional. He was going, we are going to fulfill God's design that through Israel and through the Jewish nation, the messianic message would come, but the fulfillment and the culmination of this all is that the nations of the world will know the truth of the gospel, and he invites people 
to be a part of that. He invites you to be a part of that, that you are a kingdom builder. My question for all of us, are we highly intentional with our lives? Because sometimes I think we just kind of coast through and hope the wind drives us along. But we need to be intentional. I remember coming here 2001 when I first came to the church. In 2002, I'd been talking to leaders, and I gathered a bunch of the leaders together. We got on a bus, went off to a a conference. It was a church conference that was looking about, talking about, dreaming about the future. What does the future look like? And how do you pursue that? And we began to ask questions together as we were away. What is the DNA of Jesus said, I'm building my church. What does the DNA of the church look like? What, what's the intentionality for Portico? At that time, we were MGT. See, I think you can have a church in every corner of the street, and they can all be effective if they're intentional about why God has them there. It's not about proximity it's about your calling. It's about knowing what it is God's called you to. And so as a church community, I said, I love the fact you go down Streetsville Road here. There are churches all the way down. We need that. We need churches everywhere. So what is our design that God has for us? And we talked, and one of the things I cast vision for to them is I said, I think we all have, churches have their own unique thumbprint that God says, I know why I've raised you up. Live for that purpose. Be intentional about that. And we came back from that. And as we were dreaming and praying about it, I was coming in through those doors on my right-hand side at the back, and I was just about to come in, and one of the leaders had come all the way across the foyer and stopped me before I walked in the door, and he said, Pastor, I get it. And I looked at him because I wasn't sure of the context, and I said, what do you get? He goes, no, I, I get why you took us away, and I get what it's all about. He said, it's not about me. It's about the others. And I said, yeah, that's what it is. See, before we come to faith in Christ, it's all about us. But after we come to faith in Jesus, friends, it's all about others that still have to come. And he was getting to understand. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love what we do together. I love the fellowship, and I love when we gather for worship. I love everything that we do in this context. But at the heart of it, our DNA has to be that we are kingdom builders that were following the call of Christ to come and follow him. And it wasn't to follow him into a religious pathway. It was to follow him into forging relationships and helping people far from God find their way back into a relationship with their loving heavenly father. That's why we do what we do. That's why you're called to be a kingdom builder. And I think God has uniquely placed you where you are so you can fulfill that calling. So be highly intentional with your life. Number two, if you're writing down thoughts, two more words for you. I see in this text this whole emphasis on being kingdom-focused. Kingdom-focused. Followers of Jesus understand that the only message that's worth sharing is the kingdom one. Look at it says in verse 7, As you go, I want you to proclaim this message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus lived with this unshakable resolve that his life was always about the kingdom. It sometimes got him in trouble even with his family. There was one time he was hanging out with a group of people talking about the kingdom and somebody came in and said, hey, your mom's outside. And like a good son, he goes, who's my mom? Who are my siblings? I'm all about the kingdom. Not the answer that she was looking for. He wasn't being disrespectful. He wasn't being disrespectful. He was so kingdom focused in what he was to do. He was all about the mission. And he realized that his calling was to fulfill a mission. And you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and let me read it for you. It's there in your notes. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus saw people broken and hurting and wounded, desperately looking for signs of hope. 
And he goes, did he love going to the synagogue? Sure he did. Did he love the festivals? Absolutely. He participated all the time. There was nothing wrong with that. But he was not distracted and they did not become their primary emphasis in his life. His primary emphasis was the kingdom of God for the kingdom had come. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he poured this into the life of his disciples. He used visuals that they could understand, parables, told them stories. He said, the kingdom, it's like a woman who had 10 valuable coins and she lost the coin and she ripped her house apart. She just decimated her house to find that one lost coin because of the infinite worth of the coin. And he could see the glazed look in their eyes. And so he goes to the next one. It's like a shepherd who has 100 sheep, 99 are there grazing in the field, but he counts them out and one is missing. And he goes, I'll go find that one. I will pay the price to go find that one. And he goes off to find the one and then still looking at the look on their face. He goes on to the next one. He talks about a prodigal son, a father with two prodigals, really. And the one who strays from home and the one who stays at home. And he stands waiting and knowing one day that that prodigal will come back. And in the face of social decorum, when he sees his son come up over the hill, he races out, something a father would have never done in his culture in his time. He races out and throws his arms around and he embraces him and he forgives him and he robes him and he celebrates with a festival. And Jesus was showing us something that everything about this man's life and everything about our lives needs to be kingdom-focused. We're on mission. So we're highly intentional, but not about our activities. We're not asking God to join our activities and fulfill our destiny. Jesus is saying, come and follow me, because I want to live in and through you to fulfill my destiny. And it's all about his church being built. And when you catch this, your life just takes on such a different flavor and perspective. And as followers of Jesus, we realize that we need to understand the why behind our lives now. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and he said, all authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm always with you to the very end of the age. So you look at the text here and you realize, again, the repeated emphasis, go. In your everyday going, that's what that means. In the ordinary course of your lives, everywhere you go, go and make disciples. Be mission-minded, be mission-focused. So it's the DNA of our church But more importantly, it has to be the DNA of your life and my life that we are on mission together because what Christ has called us to. And I I love our church. You hear us talk about short-term missions, right? That was rhetorical. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you hear us talk about short-term missions. Short-term missions is an opportunity that we invite people to come in and participate on mission-focused opportunities. So here's a couple of pictures. Here's what takes place. A group of people get together. They pray for each other. They prepare. They get ready to go. Here's the next picture. Then they go, and they go, where are we? Is that your backyard? Not mine, but I love that shot because they have no idea what's in front of them. So I love short-term missions. Let me remind you, just in case you're new to the church, it has always been in our DNA to be a missions-minded church. We've sent teams to Estonia, Siberia, Uganda, India, Europe, Israel, Cuba, Toronto, Trinidad, Poland, West Indies, Dominican, Saskatchewan, Thunder Bay, Quebec, Rwanda, China, Vancouver. That's not it. What an amazing group of people that attend this church. Men and women, young adults and children who have given up their time, their vacation time, their resource, saying, I believe that we're called to be on mission together. And so they join these missions opportunities, but it's not just about short-term missions. 
It's about our everyday, ordinary lives. Did you know that your work is all about mission? It is. God has gifted you and skilled you and called you. Whatever your work expression is, you might be staying at home as a mom or a dad raising the kids or maybe you're down taking the go train every day or maybe you have your own business, whatever it is. Your work is God's mission field where Jesus wants to be revealed to the people around you. So he wants us to be highly intentional and he wants us to be on mission. So our work is our mission, our faith is our mission, our life is our mission, our family is our mission, our career is our mission, and our retirement is our mission. Sorry for those of you that retired early. There's no retirement. There's no Freedom 55 in the Bible. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things about it, isn't it? Jesus doesn't talk about retirement. He says, come and follow me and be a kingdom builder and wait until I come back and then you go, good, when he finally comes back, we get to relax, right? No. He says, I got more work for you. You're going, you're kidding me. Yes, we're not going to be on the bench for the rest of our lives. In fact, we're in the game and we're in his game. And that's what it is to be a kingdom builder. I love that, that God says there are things for you to do. It's going to be different, but it's going to be the opportunity. And the one thing that I'm really looking forward to, he said, when I come back, I'm going to give you new bodies because some of you are going, I can't do much more. Right? You feel the same way I do someday? I wake up in the morning and go, oh, Lord, I can't do much more. He goes, don't worry, I'm going to give you a new body. Boy, I've got some ideas for that body. Because <laughs> Jesus did some really cool things, and I go, and I can't wait to try out my new body. But then I start thinking about the bigger picture, and I go, how great is God? How great is God that he calls me to be a part of his building enterprise? That he said, I'm going to build my church, and Doug, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to live a life that's highly intentional. I want you to be, I want you just to be kingdom-focused. Missions minded all the time. Can I be honest for a moment? Some days I'm not. Some days I forget. Because there's so many good things out there, isn't there? There's lots of good distractions. You go to the cottage. I don't own one. I just go to them. You go to the cottage and you go, I should own one of these. And it could easily become a distraction where I put all my energy and attention in. Nothing wrong with the cottage. Don't misunderstand me. Could be the car. Could be the home. There's all kinds of great distractions. Those should not be the primary focus of our lives. Those are the secondary elements. The primary is the kingdom of God, and that's the calling that we see here. And the invitation is for us to always be kingdom-focused in everything that we do. And I want us as a church, and I want us as followers of Christ to live that way. Number three, if you're writing down the words, write down these two. Radical generosity, or radically generous. Radically generous. So let me take you to the text again. Matthew 10, verse 8. So Jesus said to these disciples, now imagine the look on their face because they'd been watching him do this. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That first sentence probably just shook them to the core. They're going, no, you've been doing that. You've been doing all that, Jesus. We've been happy following you, just watching this happen. He goes, no, no, I want you to do this. So that would have preoccupied a lot of their thinking, going, how are we going to pull this thing off? But the very last sentence of that text is what captures my attention. Freely you have received, freely give. That's what it is to be a kingdom builder. It's not about the manner of the expression. Healing, restoration, prayer, deliverance, that's a manner of expression. But it's about the focus of freely giving because freely you have received. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you understand something. You have been transformed. You know this, right? You're not the person you used to be. Now, the enemy wants to convince you that you're still that old person, but you're not. 
The Bible says that you have been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you've been adopted, you've been loved, you've been chosen, you are transformed. The old is gone, the new has come. Everybody so far, you're tracking? So the enemy comes in and goes, no, you're not as much as you think you are. You go, no, you're lying to me. That's all he does anyhow. We get preoccupied living with the lies and battling the lies rather than accepting the truth of who we really are. And if the enemy can keep us back there, then he doesn't keep us over on the other side. So a lot of people live back over here, and I want to move us over. I want us to get away from who we were because Jesus took care of all of that, and he gave us this new freedom. And God says, through Christ, not through my efforts, but through Christ's efforts, I am a brand new creation. Some of you are still trying to work to please God. Stop. You can't. Salvation's free. Jesus did it. He gave it to us. That's why he can say, freely you've received, so you're new because of what you received, so freely give that away. And when you start to recognize, I'm not that person anymore. Now, there may be consequences to some of the choices of the past, but it is not the condition of my present reality. I am a new person in Christ. I have been filled with His Spirit. I'm alive by His Spirit. I've been gifted by His Spirit. And I get to be on kingdom adventure. I am a kingdom builder with Jesus, and so are you. So don't let the enemy take that away from you. Amen? Hold on to that, because that's who we are. And this whole area of what it is to be radically generous. So this past week, I was looking at some of the media streams that I have that I follow along. And I think it was a LinkedIn. This might have been on my LinkedIn account. And this gas pump came up on the screen, and it had $3.12, because we're all feeling a little pain at the pump, aren't we? Yeah. So that caught my attention. I'm going, I feel your pain, brother. I don't know who you are, but the gas pump picture got my pain. But then I started to read the story. $3.12. I thought that was a rather unusual number. And he started to tell the story. He said, I was at the gas station today. I was filling up my vehicle. And a mom drove up, a little child in the back seat. She got out, put gas in her car. That's what she put in her car. And she began to drive away. And he said, and I felt right then something, this is wrong. She doesn't have the financial resource, and she's trying to get by on the bare minimum. So he flagged her down and had her back her car up. And he said, and I put the hose back in, and I filled up her tank, and I just wished her all the best and sent her on her. And she was blown away. I have no idea if the guy's a follower of Christ or not. But what lifted off the page for me is that's the kind of life we are to live. Radically generous, looking for ways to express the love of God, not just in the tangible ways of the finance, but words that we speak when things are inflamed and emotions are heightened and people are angry, that we choose to speak words that bring calm and love and cast out fear and doubt and uncertainty that we have received from God so generously so we give so freely back to others so that they can experience the wonder of God in their lives as well. See, kingdom builders leverage a new kind of math. We leverage a new kind of math. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a new kind of math. Wouldn't you agree? See, when I went to school, I won't put an age on it for you because you can guess, they, they tried to fail us all because they changed out the measurement systems. They went from imperial to metric. Remember that? So I was in school. I was doing really good on the imperial system. And then they came along with the whole metric system. And they said, well, you guys look astute enough. You can learn this. And so even today, even today, I'll hear a number. And then I start the conversion process because anybody with me? Oh, thank you. I thought it was only me. I thought, okay, I, I should have failed that class. 
So I'll hear something and, you know, I'll get the temperature today in Celsius. I go, what is that Fahrenheit? Because I can re- still remember what it felt like in Fahrenheit. I'm getting better. I'm getting at the place. The one that really messes me up is when you go in for your driver's license. And they go, how tall are you? Six foot two inches. What's that in centimeters? Where's my iPhone? Because I, I just don't, I don't have that there because I, I was learning a new kind of math and I was in that system on the changeover. That sometimes happens in our faith. We come from a secular worldly point of view where it's all about gathering and hoarding and controlling and building. And then we step into this where Jesus said, hey, what if you gave it away freely? What if you lived to a radically different type of math model? What if you invested into a different type of investment portfolio? Like Luke chapter 12. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief will come near and no moths will ever destroy. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. And Jesus just sort of threw that out. Hey, what if there was a new way to live, a new kind of thought, a new way to be radically generous that the world doesn't understand? So don't worry about your life and don't worry about what you have to give up and don't worry about your future because God's got you covered. Then I read Paul writing to Timothy under the inspiration of the Spirit and he writes these words. He said, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Yeah, you guys know this one, right? So when you were born, you came into this world. Did you come with a Rolex? I don't think so. Did you come with a car? House? How did you come? Naked. Isn't that great? You get to say that in church. I showed up naked, and they slapped me to see if I was alive. Boy, that was abuse from day one. That's how we came into the world, though. We came in naked. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, let me remind you, you're taking nothing out. We have more mini-storage units than anybody on planet Earth. What are we going to do with all that junk? But we do. We keep accumulating. We keep hoarding it. And I look at a verse like this and I go, wow, I came with nothing. I leave with nothing. No motorcycle. Me and Jesus are going to talk about that. Not my car, not my house. But you know what it does? It doesn't say that I can take with me. It doesn't say no one. It says you can take nothing out, but it doesn't say no one. I can take people with me. And you can take people with you. You can be radically generous in this life because Jesus understood something. What greater gift can you ever have than to stand before your heavenly Father one day and say, well, you sent me there naked and you took me out the same way. But can I introduce you to this young person that I was a youth leader in the church and through my influence, they became a follower of Jesus. And see that elderly person over there? I went over and I helped at their home, and they raised some spiritual questions, and I was able to help them on a journey of faith. You see this single mom? We used to babysit for her. And because of that, she decided to come to our church and started to bring her kids to our Sunday school program. And They're now followers of Jesus. Friends, the influence in your life, the, the freely giving, the radical generosity that you have the privilege of sharing, it's not measured by your wallet, so you can take your hands away. It's okay. We're not taking a second offering. It's measured by the spirit of your life that you can be a kingdom builder and all that you represent is Christ. And when you leave, 
you go, then send me out naked, I don't care. But just send me with a lot of people so that when I'm in heaven, I can just have friends that I can look at and say, I'm so grateful that God gave me the privilege of being a part of this. That's what it is to be a kingdom builder. Highly intentional, kingdom focused, radically generous. And I don't know about you, but that's the way to live. Wouldn't you agree? So let's do it. Let's be kingdom builders together. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page. And you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.